You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. In a town called Bethlehem, at the Schloss Adler, the Castle of the Eagles. From the company that brought you The Dirty Dozen, and the author who gave you The Guns of Navarone, Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood, where eagles dare. Believe me, it's well named, because only an eagle can get to it. Our job is to get inside there and get him out as soon as possible. What is important is that we get him out before he talks. Or I should say, you get him out. It's got to be crazy. Just how'd your colonel expect anyone to get in there? No mistake, Lieutenant. This is the headquarters of the Fairmount Council. Colonel Weissner, field security. Bishop van Harpen, Gestapo. Any suggestion? I think they'd stand a lot better chance outside than we will in here. I hear there was some excitement in the village tonight. Actually, there were five British agents resting in Germany. British agents? Why wasn't I informed? I'm informing you now. Now, Lord Sword, save yourselves. Over. You must be joking. Over and out. Next time we make a move. Amen now. Let's be patient. Lord Sword, calling Danny Boyle. You know, General, we have drugs that will make you talk. Nothing's changed, Colonel. Most unfortunate. Germans have totally penetrated MI6. Now every move we make almost before we make it. Lieutenant, drop that gun. What? Drop that gun and sit down. What the hell are you talking about? Sit down. Lieutenant, in the next 15 minutes we have to create enough confusion to get out of here alive. Major, right now you've got me about as confused as I am. Skulls, I'm broadcasting. Hey, this is Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Randy Computers and Google Tent Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars for all 662 shows. Hey, uh, Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, Robert. How about yourself? I don't know. I, I, I can barely hear you, so there's nothing we can do about the sound, eh? Unfortunately, no. We've been having... All right, well... That's been a little off tonight. Can you? How good are you at sign language, just in case? Because, like, it's, I can barely hear it's, the it's, cue. It's funny you say that, because I took sign language in high school. You did? Exactly. Yes, sir. Four years of sign language in high school. Oh, uh, okay. All right. All right. So, anyway, all right. So, we got a good show for you tonight. We, uh, we're we actually going to continue on with part two with uh, our friend uh, Bill Emerson, the Healy expert. Uh, over the weekend, what did we do? Well, there was a couple of car shows going on, but one in particular that I went to was up in... Uh, Ocala. It was called the, uh, I think it was a Mopar show. Called a Mopar show. Anyway, and uh, so I meandered over there. It's kind of a little bit of a hike from Pinellas County. And uh, it was a fair amount of vendors there. It was a decent car show. It was out at what they call the horse park. So if you know where Don Gartless Museum is, and typically he has a Mopar show and car show and swap meet. And then uh, another group basically started a car show and swap meet type thing as well, but at a different location at a different time. So rather than conflict, what they did is they, they're doing the Don Gartless one in the fall, and then they're doing the... Uh, um, this particular one they're doing in the and well, it's not really spring anymore. Is this is it still spring? May is May considered spring? Yeah, technically, we don't hit summer until the first official day of summer is June twenty first. So okay, we're still so technically in spring. We're still in spring. Okay, yes, so sir. we can spring forwards and then we'll fall backwards. Exactly. Is that how that goes? Okay, I, yep. I remember something like that. So, but anyway, so I was wandering around and actually there was quite a few vendors. What there wasn't was a lot of participants, and this was on Saturday. So you know it was a Friday Saturday event, fair amount of cars, some interesting cars there, and. Uh, Herb McCandless was supposed to be there. Now, I didn't see him. I was looking for him because I think I'd like to invite him to be a guest on our show. He used to race with Sox and Martin and, uh, and those guys and all the other Mopar guys out of, out of Detroit. I'm not a real big Mopar guy. I've had a few over the years. I've had a couple of e-bodies, actually the rarest car I had, which I actually still have a piece of it. When, in, in 1971... When I was, uh, where was I, 71, 72, somewhere in there, I was in uh, almost going to high school. And uh, one of the guys that I went to school with, his parents used to own, if he's listening, he can chime in, if he's listening, his parents used to own the Sunoco station on the corner of East Bay Drive and uh, Missouri. I always call it Missouri. Missouri. And um, at the time, his older brother had bought from Kenyon Dodge, I believe, a 1970 Challenger 340 4-speed. But, all right, so that might not be a big deal. 340 was actually rare because a lot of guys didn't go with small blocks. They went with big blocks, 383s, 440s, 446-packs. And if you're really lucky, you got a Hemi, 426. But anyway, so this was a your basic 340. Now, a lot of the, the Challengers, you know, the, the really good-looking ones were RTs, which stood for road and track. And or rapid transit, so road and track, rapid transit. I mean, I think the jury's still out on that. And they had, and it's probably rapid transit more or less because they had the RTS, which was rapid transit system, which was a promotional thing that Dodge did, I believe, commencing in '70, where they took a bunch of their high performance cars and they put them on tour. Ford did that, Chevrolet did that. A lot of times, very often, they teamed up with. Uh, with um, well-known racing um, organizations. For example, Carroll Shelby did it. Obviously, and Ford was behind it. And then, you know, Sox and Martin, they've been on tour. Uh, the Hot Wheels, when they had uh, Don Perdome and, and uh, McEwen racing, they, those cars went on tour. And I remember, actually, um, in the early 70s, a lot of times they would show up at a Publix, of all places, a shopping center, and they'd have, you know, their promotional cars on, on exhibit. So that was pretty cool, especially if you're a kid, you know, if you built models and, and you were into racing a little bit, you know, it was kind of cool. And, and, of course, you know, Hot Wheels, obviously, there was tons of spinoffs, um, you know, toys, bicycles, all kinds of stuff, you know. 
um, clothing, things like that. But at any rate, so his Challenger was, of all things, an RT340 car, which is rare. But to make the car even rarer, it was an SE. So that meant special edition. What a special edition did was was had more of a deluxe interior. I believe leather was a standard option. Uh, when I say standard option, optional otherwise, but standard on this particular case. And it also had a small back window and a vinyl top. But the car was plum crazy, which was really cool. And that was probably the most popular color for Chrysler in 1970 and 71, plum crazy. And granted, they had vitamin C orange. They had, I think, something lemon, lemon twist yellow. Then they had panther pink, which I actually liked. Um sublime lime i think and then there was another green and then uh so they had some pretty wild um what they were called high impact colors back in the day but nonetheless years later when i was in the wrecking yard business this car wound up in a junkyard next to my junkyard up on hercules avenue and i happened to be in there one day pillaging some for some parts for mustang and i saw the challenger so obviously i went and checked over the vin number and the vin number was a h which is a 340 car then i started looking it had the rally hood on it and what was left of the interior but it was a four-speed car which is what this car was originally and it had a sure grip you know posi traction rear end and everything like that so it was really kind of a unique car well, I ended up buying that car, and I was going to restore that car. I had it down on my shop in 66th Street in Pinellas Park, and I don't know what happened. Um, you know, I had the original motor training. It was a relatively complete car, but for, and it was painted silver, and the vinyl top was off of it, which actually looks better without a vinyl top, my, frankly. But nonetheless, I had the car, and somehow I do not to this day know what happened to it. I know the car got vandalized. Somebody jumped on the hood. No big deal. That can be fixed. Um, I ended up pulling the motor and the tranny out of it. And I think even to this day, I think I still may have the heads and I still may have the exhaust manifolds. I'm not sure. Uh, and, I'm, and I believe I kept the shifter out of it because I had the pistol grip shifter. And I don't know if I kept the pop-open gas cap that said fuel. But anyway, so the car Challenger became real popular during the movie Vanishing Point, which came out in 1970 or 70, late 70, 71, somewhere around in there. And the, the star of the show was Barry Newman and the, the, the premise of the story was is that he could drive this car from Colorado to California and deliver it in 48 hours or whatever it was and the bet was on so if you get a chance rent the original vanishing point kind of like the original Gone in 60 Seconds now the second six, Gone in 60 Seconds wasn't too bad the second vanishing point was okay but not as suspenseful not as meaningful and as as cool as i think the first one was but anyway so i had this thing for challengers so i had a couple e-bodies then i had an e-body challenger convertible that was a 318 three-speed car somebody put a 440 and a four-speed in it i had that for a while put a rally hood on it or had a rally hood on it and then the other then i had a couple of road runners but i never did much with those they just sat around but i did have a set 68 gtx with a 426 hemi in it and it was a local car that was owned by a local guy that was actually drag race in fact his tow vehicle was a 68 or 69 440 four-speed car but this car was a 426 automatic and i was going to in the process of converting it to a four-speed because i like four-speed anyway but does, does that change the performance of the car Nah, it really doesn't change the perform. Yeah, it does from the standpoint of drivability, you know, because a four right. speed is way more fun. Boy, I could barely hear you. All right. No, 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 that's okay. That's not way I just, I'm just. No, I know. I, I can barely hear myself. I, I know. The, the headphones have been acting up in that studio today. Really? Is it the headphones? Did, did somebody try another set of headphones? No. It's, it's just weird. They've been cutting in and out since huh, one of the earlier shows today. Well, that's what they call in the radio world a technical difficulty. Yep. A technical glitch. Yep. So we're experiencing a technical glitch. Now, and for the listeners, hopefully they'll be fine. No, the, the listeners are fine because we have a studio out here. We have a radio out here in the lobby and I can hear everything yeah. if I'm not sitting here. Oh, okay. So everything sounds fine over the air. It's, huh? the, the show that was on before you had the same question with the headphones. And I tried fixing it before you came on. Apparently nothing worked. At least uh, not today. All right, no worries. Then we'll have to. We'll have to. Well, they'll have to deal with it. Right. Anyway, our job is to is to entertain our listeners exactly. and, to, and tell stories. And anyway, so overall, the the show was pretty cool. Now, the takeaway from the show is this: there was a lot of really cool stuff there. And as in the case with a lot of these events that I've been attending lately, there's a lot of older guys there, sixties, seventies. Now this weekend. My buddies are all going up to the Ford Carlisle All Ford Show. I'm supposed to be there. 
I haven't decided yet. It's one of the, I'm a spontaneous kind of guy sometimes, so I may just decide to jump in my truck and haul butt up there and take some stuff with me. But at any rate, when when you go to a lot of these events, the consensus is, and this is an issue that we're really dealing with here, is that um, a lot of people are have reached the point where they've had their fun, had their fill, enjoyed the cars, they're thinning the herd, they're keeping a few cars, because a lot of the parts that were there, that were, and they were relatively expensive, but there was a few guys saying, you know, make me an offer, make me a reasonable offer. And so this is what we're seeing, and this is a big concern to a lot of us in the industry because the younger generation is not really taking any interest in this. And, you know, I mean, obviously the tuna crowd, which is a different crowd, and then the rest of mod crowd, which again is a different crowd. But the guys into the old school hot rod, I shouldn't say hot rod, the old school original parts thing, well, the collectors and the guys that are rebuilding it, and there's a lot of guys in their 40s and 50s, so there's a few people. They're, few, they're you know, 10, 15 years behind us. But it's not like it used to be, so that's a concern. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys, too. i got a lot of parts laying around, and I need to kind of figure out what I'm going to do with them because my son is interested in the cars, but he's not a parts junkie like I am. You know, that's that was a, that's what we did. Just like we built models and we built, uh, you know, we had race car tracks sets, you know, like slot cars and bicycles and we climbed trees and, you know, sandlot baseball and, and all that, skateboards, you know, all that kind of stuff, go-karts. How we tracks. Pardon me? Hot Wheels tracks. Hot Wheels tracks. Yeah, all that stuff. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's not like, everything today is technology. Technology, and you're going to hear me say this, I'm going to quote this, is evil. And we have the audio recording because we podcast all the shows, so we have it here, we too. We have it. It's on record that I said technology, advanced technology, is evil. And, and you know, to and, a degree, I agree with you. And unfortunately, because people don't stop and smell the roses anymore, you know, and unfortunately, everybody's glued to this thing. I mean, I see it at the traffic lights. I and see it in the stores. I see it in the restaurants. I see it everywhere. I've seen this quote online a couple of times from Mike Tyson, because Tyson said this. Tyson did? Yeah, social media, and it's related to technology. Social media has basically become a blinder for people to stop getting punched in the face when they're disrespectful. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the exact quote. Well, you know, he's got a point there. There are some people that need to be punched in the mouth, and there's a whole bunch of people that are hiding behind the Internet and then running their mouth. Exactly. So if you could see in my day, I called you out, we stepped outside, we settled it like men, then we went and had a milkshake or a Coke or a beer, depending right. on your age bracket. But at any rate, today, it's just crazy. But this technology is just getting out of control because people are so dependent on it, they can't do anything. I could not believe this the other day. Like, just to give you an example, when I was doing this, I'm working remodeling my house, and I had to do some mathematics, right? So I, had, I couldn't remember how to convert fractions to decimals. Uh, I found the exact quote from Tyson. Mike Tyson said, Social media makes y'all way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. Well, there you go. That's, that's the exact quote from Mike Tyson. Okay. And, 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 and actually, I agree with that. So and do I. That, because I think a serious ass whipping will do you a lot of good. Okay. But at any rate, um, so, you know, this, where was I going? With oh, technology, it's just, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a distraction. I mean, when I look at the cars, I mean, I know a lot of guys that are mechanics, and they're only going to work on cars up until, let's say, 2014, 2015, because that's all their software will work. That, the new the newer software and stuff like that is, is extremely pricey unless you fix a lot of late model cars like dealerships it's not it's not feasible so the cars are just getting too far to advance and when when they have these issues like and, I, and we got to take a break here in a second but just to give you an example in the old days to rebuild a turbo 350 or a c4 automatic or something like that was three two three hundred dollars that was it you know and you had maybe 75 dollars 50 to 75 dollars in part the rest was all labor cleaning it doing it taking it out putting it back in stuffing it in the car hooking up a drive shaft up and make sure you go today Today, a lot of these cars don't only have just five speeds, six speeds, seven speeds, eight speeds. They got ten speeds. Well, the transmission shop was telling me the other day when I was talking to him, it's a thousand dollars a gear. So if you got a six-speed automatic, it's six grand to rebuild it. If you got a ten-speed automatic, it's ten grand. You better hope that thing's on a warranty. This is just really, really, really getting crazy. On that note, 
we'll be talking more about some of the shows and all the cool stuff coming. And by the way, for the, all you Porsche guys, on June 10th is the 75th anniversary of Porsche. So all the Porsche dealerships around here are going to be having all kinds of festivities going on. And also at Orla- in uh, Atlanta at the Porsche Experience Center, the PEC, they're having Broad Arrows having a huge auction. So we're going to have a guest on next week, talk a little bit about that auction, because that's next weekend. At any rate, I think it's next weekend. I'm losing track of time here. Nonetheless, it's the end of May, and I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend and we got time to spend some friend- time with their friends and their family and everybody like that, and that's one of the reasons why I played Where Eagles Dare with Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton, because we just came off Memorial, weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Anyway, on that note... Uh, Matt is going to fire up the stereo. We're going to play a little jazz. And uh, we'll be right back with our special guest in a few minutes. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, it is now time for part two the interview with the uh, legendary author, racer, world traveler. Uh, he even played with uh, satellites. So he's a space guy, too. I'm delighted to welcome back to Nostalgic Radio Cars, Bill Emerson. Bill, how are you this evening? Just fine, thank you. So how's the weather up in Floral City? (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a long ways away, but uh, it's still good weather up here. It is, it is, it is. Actually, it's been pretty nice everywhere this past couple of days, so we had a great weekend, quite frankly. Actually, we had a pretty good weekend for the whole Austin Healy uh, Conclave event, so that was pretty exciting, don't you think? I I really enjoyed it. Uh, Nancy had a quite an experience. We went over, and the winner of the Gymkhana uh, took her for a ride around the Gymkhana track oh. at speed, and she was ecstatic. <laughs> So now you have, in, in your stable now, you don't have a Healy anymore, but you do have a spiffy little Miata, correct? No, I have two spiffy little Miatas. I have one convertible. Yeah. And the other one with a hard top that permanently is on. Okay. But they're, they're both 1999. So you being a British car guy, and now you have two Miatas, you know, and I've had a few of those over the years. I had the early Miatas, 90, 91, 92. And I got to tell you, I, the, we, the joke was back then, it really wasn't a joke, but the, 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 the analogy was, or the comparison was, that it was basically a Lotus Salon made by the Japanese that's actually pretty durable, pretty reliable, pretty f- sporty, and economical, and fun to drive. And they're still that kind of a car, at least all the way through the 1990, right? Well, I, I can right? vote that the 99. His phone line just dropped. Give me a second to call him back. Okay. Oh, well, we just dropped the line here. Are, am I live? I'm live. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to have to talk here because I, somehow we drop. 
dropped old Bill here, and we're going to have to give him a call and call him right back. But we were talking about Mazda Miatas, and i got to tell you, bang for the buck, you know, Miata's a great little car, especially the early cars. And it's they've actually got kind of a cult following. Um, when you go to the, the JDM guys, which is a Japanese domestic manufacturers, I believe that's what JDM stands for. And But I think in a true sense, it's the right-hand drive cars. But nonetheless, the JDM guys, that's kind of like, you know, the, the JDM tuner kind of guys, they really get into the, the Miatas. And, and, and I remember being at a couple of events, sports car events, autocrosses, and the Miatas guys were uh, pretty serious about that stuff. I mean, swapping parts back and forth. We got Bill back on the phone? Bill, are you there? Yep. Okay, so I sure am. I had to fill in while you were taking a uh, taking a break there. <laughs> Any, you went once around the Gymkhana course, huh? <laughs> well, I didn't go. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Okay, you know, you know, it's funny. You guys keep calling it Gymkhana, and that's actually the correct term for it. But when I started, when I got involved with it back then, we just referred to it as autocrossing. So, and I'm not sure where the name originated. Do you? No, I don't know where came from i just know i've been doing it for a long time so would it be fair to say because when i started autocrossing or doing gymkhana's back in the 70s um it was it was like uh it 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 was it, you get you got bitten by the bug that's all I can say. And now you start out autocrossing, then you join ACCA, and then from there, you know, who knows, vintage racing, and then sports car racing again, and then professional. And is that kind of what happened to you? Because you did some uh, a fair amount of racing back in the day, right? Well, well I was thinking more on, on terms of, of Jim Conna. I uh, entered a Jim Conna. Well, I didn't enter. I, uh, I visited a Jim Conna over in California, and uh, they ha- were looking at the different cars, and a couple of my friends came up and said, why don't you run that car? And I said, well, I don't. I just bought the car, and so I'm not too sure about it. Which car was this now? now the, car, the, the car was a 1954 Nash Healy coupe that the first owner was a midget and so he took the interior out and redid it for his size and then he spun a bearing on the six-cylinder engine and he put the small v8 uh, chevrolet in it so i didn't know very much about the car other than it was uncomfortable at the time because it was a little short between the steering wheel and the seat but my friends convinced me that I should go out, and the class I was in was against Mercedes-Benz. Well, I'm a little competitive, so I went out and won the class, and in the process, spun a bearing. So I had to redo the engine on it, but uh, had a hell of a good time doing it. They com- the announcer said that it was a cross between an MG and a checker cab. <laughs> MG and a checkered cab. Now, was that your very first uh, Gymkhana? That was my very first Gymkhana. So you had kind of, it would be fair to say, a little bit of uh, natural driving talent if you placed first. Because, you know, they're they're pretty tight little turns. you got to have some serious car control. Well, I have pretty good car control the car was was actually a pretty darn nice car uh years passed by and that particular car donald healy liked it and now donald was a friend of mine he used to stay with me in the summers when he'd come over to the state and over many many cups of tea we worked together and decided that it needed a new engine because, of course, the bearings, you know, I spun the bearing. So we ended up having Racer Brown in California put a 327 Corvette in it. Donald had been rallying for many years and had a bad hip and couldn't push the clutch in. So at his insistence, we did a turbo 400. So he wouldn't have to push the clutch. And the next year when he came back, 
we had a little problem because he wanted to see how fast it would go. And when I pumped it, the back end slid around, and the first thing he said was, we need a locker rear end. <laughs> so we put a... I had uh, some people in L.A. put a locker rear end in it. And I took that car over to Europe to celebrate Donald Healy's 100th birthday. Now, Donald wasn't around, but they had a uh, an event at his hometown in Perrinforth, and the Nash Healy won Best of Show. All right, so now I'm going to just uh, jump around here for a second. How did your passion for Healy's come to fruition and then talk about the Healy book. Okay, my passion for Healy's was pretty interesting. 1953, when the Healy was first announced, it was announced in New York, and then it was announced in Miami. I was a student at the University of Miami at that time. Dinner Key, where the show was, was within walking distance of where I was living. And I went down and drooled over the Austin Healy 100. But being a college student and paying for my own college, I couldn't afford it. So years and years went by, and I was on assignment uh, working with the Japanese government on their space program, and I came back to California to work for the United States Air Force on a job on their satellite control facility. And every day was a sunny day, and I needed a convertible. I remembered back to the Austin Healey how much I wanted one. So I started looking around, and I ended up with a right-hand drive 100. I had it for less than a year when there was a meet in California that Donald came over for. And I had done my homework. I read a read up about him and found out that he was a flyer in the First World War and loved radio. So instead of talking about cars when I met him, I asked him if he'd like to see the radio museum in Silicon Valley. And we went off to see it together. And he said, you know, this is very nice, but do you know anybody who has any of those uh, small computers? And I said, yeah, I have three of them at my house. And he said, let's go to your house. And that started a friendship that lasted until Donald died. Now, what year was this? Give us a time frame. 1980, no, 76 or 77. Okay, because when you say little computers, were computers little back then? Oh, yeah. Really? Remember that, that, that the Apple computer didn't come out until 76 or 77. Okay, now, what, what, was, were they referred to as word processors back then before they were called computers or PCs? No? No. 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 Word processors did, they were slightly different and they were larger than uh, what we think of as laptops. Okay. But I lived in a place called Cupertino, which happens to be the home of Apple computers. So you know what I had first. Oh, yeah. You had an Apple. You're a Mac guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So then when you had, when you had the, the Nash, t- t- as far as the, the, the Nash-Healy correlation there, so there's... Nash and Healy, and I'm thinking, and I, and I honestly don't know much about those cars, so you have to educate me here a little bit, as well as our listeners. So Nash was a car manufacturer. We also referred to him as Rambler, which I guess they later became. Um, and then Healy. And then typically when you think of a Healy, you think of a sports car. But the Nash Healy really was more of a GT car, at least in my estimation. So... Kind of educate me a little bit here on on the on the origin of the Nash Healy, and was that a, a a joint venture between Nash and Healy, or is there any connection at all, or or how does it how does it play out? Okay, it's a pretty well known story that Donald Healy would come over to the United States, and he was doing marketing trips for his Healy automobiles, 
And during the trip, uh, he was quite a photographer, had been his whole life. He and another man were taking stereo photographs on board the Queen Mary. And they got talking about their stereo cameras. And it was totally about cameras. And neither one of them mentioned the fact that that, uh, they were both in the automotive industry. Because the man was George Romney from Nash. Well, they over scotch in the evening. Donald said that he was coming to the United States. He really wanted to put Cadillac engines in his cars uh, to make them really have high performance. Sort of on the line of Cunningham's, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Let me interject here for a second. When you said Romney, I'm thinking Mitt Romney's dad, and at one point, the governor of Michigan, correct? That same Romney? That's right. Okay. Yep. That's George George Romney. Okay. Well, anyway, Romney told him that Cadillac couldn't build enough engines but if he was interested in a really good engine, they had a seven-main-bearing, six-cylinder engine that was bulletproof. Well, Cadillac told Donald that, no, that he couldn't get any of their engines. So he went up, talked to Romney, and Romney sent him over some engines to England. They put them in a Silverstone and started out with what became a race car. And that was the, the first one was a six-cylinder Nash engine in a Silverstone, and he entered it in uh, the Mille Mille. And it sort of topped out at about 110, 112 miles an hour. And when they got it back, they said, okay, we've got to square this away. So they streamlined the car quite quickly under the auspices of a guy named Roger Menadou, and they entered it in the 1950 Le Mans, and they placed fourth. Now, between Romney meeting Healy and placing fourth in Le Mans was less than six months. Oh, wow. That's quick. Unbelievably quick. The next year, they did a coupe, and it placed six. Then in 1952, uh, uh, they had a coupe, and they had it in the Mille Mille, and Donald was driving, and Jeff was the navigator, and it aquaplaned coming across the bridge. And uh, pretty well wiped out the uh, left side of the car where Jeff was sitting. Now, Jeff is Jeff Healy, the son of Donald Healy, correct? Right. Okay. Who is is an automotive engineer. Okay. Was an automotive engineer. Jeff said that if anybody else had been driving, he would be dead. He said, my father has got more skill than you can believe. So, anyway, this car is wrecked. They bring the wreck back to England, and in just over two weeks, Roger Menadou steals parts from it, puts it together, fabricates the body. They take it to Le Mans. Now, what are you going to do with something that has been wrecked a couple of weeks before? Not much. Well, it happened to be a Healy. The winner was Mercedes-Benz, 300 SL. Second place, Mercedes, 300 SL. Third place, Nash Healy. Fourth place, Mercedes, 300 SL. Mercedes thought they were going to get one, two, three, but they only got one, two, and four. Wow. And Donald Healy was the one in the middle. Give us a little background on Donald Healy himself. So he said he was a World War I, uh, let's just call him a, uh, 
I want to say fighter pilot, but basically he flew airplanes in the First World War, correct? Well, he, he was a pilot, and uh, I don't have the exact thing in front of me right now, but he was in the first 3,000 pilots that were ever registered in France. Wow. In France, if you were German, Italian, Swedish, didn't make any difference. Your pilot's license came out of France. Oh, interesting. And he did three different types of airplanes, and then he was selected to join the 200th Flying Corps. Now, that is the first night bombing squadron in existence. Wow. And it had the highest casualty rate of any of the units uh, in the First World War. And Donald was shot down, and he remembers nothing about it until he woke up in a hospital in England. But they told him that he could not fly again. So he turned his uh, skills into the automotive industry and the radio industry after the end of the, of the First World War. He actually built a, a radio called a Perrinport and sold them so in the local town that he was from. Interesting. Did not know that. And then, so what year would this be? Like, we're talking in the 30s, uh, late 20s, early 30s? Uh, no, by the early 30s, he had uh, developed uh, quite a name for himself in rallying. And he used an, a series of different cars. And he picked up uh, with Triumph and was working with them and their competition department and ended up being head of competition for them. He also was big friends with Riley and Macklin, who had the Invicta. Okay. And Macklin had him drive an Invicta, and he won the Monte Carlo Rally, 1931. Fascinating. Placed second, second in 1932. So when so, did he, was he involved in anything during the Second World War? Was he involved in any kind of manufacturing or anything like that for for their war effort and the European war effort at all? Yes, he was with uh, Humbler at the time. Okay. And they were making uh, armored cars and things like that. Okay, because you mentioned radio, so I wasn't sure, you know, because radio advanced quite a bit during the Second World War because that was one of the, uh, you know, the prolific or the more popular forms of obviously communication and everything like that. So, um, so when did he build his first car? When did he then? When did the Healy, uh, if you would it call started it, in, it started in 1946. Okay, and was a car called. A Westland. Now, oh, Westland okay. had had built, built aircraft during the war, and they had the surplus. They had aluminum and things like that, and they had nuts and bolts and things like that, which were very scarce after the war. So they built a car called a Westland, and uh, they shipped a few of them over here to the United States, and they were sold out of New York. And uh, many years ago, I happened to get a 1946 Westland chassis and, and engine all together. All the body parts were in pieces because there's a wooden frame under the aluminum body. And the wooden frame is gone. And I thought that I could put it together, but it turned up it was a bigger job than I could do. So I sold it to a fellow in California, but that uh, was sold out of Fergus Motors in New York City, and had still had all the tags and everything on the uh, dashboard. All right, so the Westland, the the Nash Healy, and now we come to the Austin Healy, and again, is there a connection there between Austin and Healy? Yes, there is. At the uh, Earl's Court Automobile Show there was a car called Healy 100. And it just caught the eye of everybody. In, in, 
including Leonard Lord, uh, who then said, look, Donald, you can build maybe 10 or 20 of these, you know, in a week or two. I can build hundreds of them. Why don't I get to build these for you, and I'll give you so much money per car. And Gary Coker, who designed the car, took off, went up to the place that had made the Healy badge, had them make an Austin Healy badge, came back, and they put that on the car. This is all while it's at the Earl's Earl's Court car show? Yes. Okay. And for our listeners, the Earl's Court car show is like the car show, like our New York auto show or like the Geneva auto show, correct? That's correct. It's okay. The, it's the big one in England. Okay. Continue. So the Austin Healey was, um, the Nash Healey had been an export only. In other words, um, Nash would send over six packages of engines, drive shaft, rear ends, brakes. Then they would put those into a Silverstone chassis with a panel craft body. So you can see it's all of a sudden you've got three different people messing with the thing. And then all the cars were exported because England was trying to get uh, cash flow back into the country at that time. That's after the Second World War. In 1952, the only change that took place was Nash would send the engines over, they'd go into the Silverstone chassis, and then they would go to Italy, and Pin Farina would put the body on. And he did, the first year he did convertibles, the second, second year he did convertibles and a few coupes, and the third year, he did uh, mostly coupes. All right, so you took the words right out of my mouth. So basically, the Nash Healy was an Italian design body, correct? Chassis or uh, body? Carrosseria. No. No? No. In 1950, when the first uh, 38 cars were built, it was a total design in England. Okay. Well, all aluminum body. Made by a company called Panelcraft. Okay. And that didn't change until 1952, when Nash already had Pin Farina designing their big cars. And they decided that, you know, if he did my a sports car, we could put that in the front of the showroom. It's really good looking. Mm-hmm. It would get people to come in. Now, this car cost $6,000. A, a Nash cost 2000 and something. However, the engine in the $6,000 car was the same as in the Nash Ambassador. So you could have the same engine as that super sports car and their nice big sedan and carry the children around. So it was a uh, advertising as well as uh, people buy, bought them for high-performance high uh, boulevard sports car. Beautiful car, though. All right, we got a couple minutes left. What I'd like to do is I just wanted you to talk a little bit about your book real quick, and then if people are interested in the book, how they can go about getting the book. Okay. we got two minutes, three minutes. <laughs> two minutes, okay, here you go. The, the elevator pitch. When when Donald Healy d- died, my tribute to him was he and I had talked about cars for years and years. I decided that I would make a book that had a picture or a set of pictures of every car that he had built, every type of car that he had built. And I hated getting books that only showed me the front left side of the car. So I made sure that the the book had color pictures of the front, back, the interior, the engine, and it had the specification. And I cover the Healy, the Nash Healy, 
the Austin Healy, the Jensen Healy, and the Healy boats. And if someone is interested in the uh, book, it's sold online, and it's www.historichealys, H-E-A-L-E-Y-S, dot com. And uh, if you'd like it autographed, tell me what kind of car you have, and I will do a personal autograph for you. Super. Now, we have probably 35 seconds or so left, and uh, Bill, you got some amazing stories, but what I'd like to do is down the road again, the next time they have a Healy meet or there's a British car meet, um, I want to get you back on the radio show, and we'll talk a little bit, because there's a couple other things that we, we, you and I had talked about that I want to get, because you got an amazing toy car collection, not to mention all the pictures, not to mention all the very, very special people, besides Donald Healy and Jeff Healy and Carol Shelby, that you have come across, because a lot of people don't know there's a Healy and a Shelby connection. Right. And, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and 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 for you know, and I'm a big Shelby guy. A lot of my listeners are Shelby Ford guys. So you know, there's a there's a you have a wealth of information, and uh, I, I would be thrilled to have you back on the show again here down the road a little bit. And um, you know, maybe we got a special special event or something like that. So uh, you're definitely up for that, I'm sure. And are now, there in let the, me let me interrupt for sure. a minute. You're a Cobra guy, right? Shelby, Mustang, more or less. Yeah, but I love Cobras, too. Can't afford it, but they're cool. Okay. Herbie Hancock is the oldest single owner of a Cobra. Yes, that's true. That is true. Did you ever meet him? When he was, when he was in college, yes. he used to play the music for the fashion shows that my girlfriend was putting on at Grinnell College. No kidding. So... And she still loves cars. <laughs> well, the song that he, as the story goes, the song, and then then we have to say goodbye, but as the story goes, he wrote the song, which was a big hit, The Watermelon Man, and he said the proceeds from that is what afforded him the AC Cobra. So that's how the that's story right. goes. Interesting. Yep. Well, look, it's been good talking to you, and I hope your listeners have enjoyed it. And remember, it's historic Healy. Okay. Is there going to be any other uh, British car event, function, or anything you're going to be attending here within the next uh, three, four months, or anything like that, or in the fall? Yes, I'm giving a speech at the uh, Nash National Convention in New York in July. Okay. And I'm talking about Nash Healy Racing. Interesting. Okay. Well, Bill, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgia Radio Cars. I want to thank my special guests and uh, car connoisseur, Austin Healy historian, author, photographer, world traveler, racer, uh, and the list goes on and on, doesn't it, Bill? And, uh, it sure does. And he's we didn't a, even talk about racing at Laguna Seca. No, we need to do that. That's why I said we got to get you on. So what we'll do is <laughs> uh, we'll we'll do this down you know down the road in a couple months. We'll get you back. And I need to just kind of come over there and just kind of nose around because you had a couple of one forty third scale cars over there that I was kind of interesting. And then of course the topic of. What do we do with our collections? That's another topic for another day. But at any rate, Bill, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you down the road. Thank you very much. Okay. Remember, go fast and have fun. Super. Well said. All right, listeners. Thanks to you for tuning into Nostalgia Winning Cars. Don't forget every Tuesday between seven and eight p.m. here on the Tan Talk Radio Network, downtown Clearwater, between seven and eight p.m. In the meantime, I will see you some of the car shows. A lot of stuff going on. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.